Folk Festival, the play Chorus of Disapproval, free tickets, and more. All right, hello, and welcome to the Arts Report for June the 23rd, 2010. This is CITR 101.9 FM. We're also online at CITR.ca. And we have uh, quite a show for you today. Let me tell you about it. Uh, we have uh, an interview on the Cheaper Show number 9, which is the biggest art show, single-night art event in Western Canada. It's massive. They expect... Um, as many as 10,000 people to come and it's this Saturday and it's very exciting uh, then we also have the inspirational book Choosing to Smile which is out in bookstores now and we have an interview with two of the three authors of the book uh, to tell us all about that we also have the uh, the first of a multi-week um, series on the Vancouver Folk Festival, Folk Music Festival, from July 16th to the 18th. And uh, we'll start off uh, today with uh, an interview with the artistic director of the festival. And then uh, we'll have more with artists uh, in the weeks ahead, all the way up till the festival. Then we also have um, a feature on a play called The Chorus, A Chorus of Disapproval, which will be going up um, this weekend. Uh, and that's going to be at the Deep Cove Shaw Theatre. And uh, what else do we have? Um, Nick Panu has uh, some features to tell us about, um, which I'll tell you about uh, later. And then, of course, we have tickets to give away to a slam poetry event that's coming up at the Rio Theatre. We'll have two tickets to lewd, crude, and out of control. So, we have lots to do, so let's get right to it, shall we? Uh, the Cheaper Show, number nine. What started as a renegade art party in 2001 by three Vancouver artists has emerged as the largest single-night art event in Western Canada. The Cheaper Show, number nine, operated by 12 artists from Vancouver, will showcase 200 international artists, 400 pieces of art, all priced at $200. Each and every piece of art is $200. And they expect a crowd from eight to 10,000 people. I spoke to Graham Berglund, uh, who is the founder and creative director of the festival, and he told me about the, uh, the evolution of the event and, um, and how the theme of it all is... Um, is perseverance in terms of being an artist and surviving in this uh, tough climate, especially now in BC with the arts cuts. So here's our entry. What is The Cheaper Show? The Cheaper Show uh, is a one-night art show where all of the artists sell their work for one uniform price that is very affordable in an environment that is incredibly accessible, and it's been taking place for nine years now in Vancouver and has drawn from being a very small um, kind of like renegade one-night art show and has now grown into being the largest one-night art show in Western Canada. You say it started as a renegade art show. What was the original sort of intent? Uh, where does the renegadery come in? <laughs> yeah. um, well, it was the, the original uh, genesis behind the show was just simply, um, you know, frustration myself 
and a couple of my friends. Um, we were really just having trouble garnering any attention from any of the local galleries here, kind of uh, back in 2001, where um, it was even limit, more limited than it is today as far as, you know, the South Gravel scene and some of the artist-run centers and that sort of thing. So um, rather than sit around and complain about it, which we did a few times, um, we just decided to kind of create our own show um, that was based on a model that was uh, a lot different than anything else that we were seeing out there and, uh, you know, kind of picked some alternative environments, um, the first one being the old sugar refinery on Gravel Street, which was kind of a bit of an, you know, after-hours place. And, uh, you know, you know, free entrance to get in. And um, it was a place that you could come down with, like, 10, 15 friends, grab a beer or a glass of wine, um, listen to music, and uh, see some incredible art from some, you know, undeniably talented people and actually afford to purchase art that night and, and walk out the door with it. The first, uh, the first series of paintings and photographs we sold were only $75 a piece. So a lot of those people... Um, you know, it was a it was a really brand new experience for um, you know the patrons and pedestrians that kind of rolled in the door that night, and just the the demand of those people um, as well as the artists themselves um, inspired kind of continuing this in the in the years to come. And and all the arts will be represented, like photography, uh, paintings. Yeah, photography, paintings, illustration. We've got some really amazing sculpture this year. Um, we have some installations um, in the form of artist projects this year, which is kind of new for us. Um, it's really um, the broadest spectrum of, of art that uh, you can really see under one roof. I mean, we've always, the two focuses on curation is, uh, is quality and diversity. So it's pretty rare to be able to walk through the room and, and really not find something that you're, um, you know, compelled to purchase. That's kind of the goal with this. And uh, Gregor Robertson, the mayor, will be there to uh, to inaugurate the show. Yeah, he's uh, you know I've I've worked with the city for the last couple of years um, in different cultural groups and that sort of thing, and uh, he's really been supportive of uh, the cheaper show, particularly. I mean, it it, it really has kind of grown into this uh, institution in our city at this point in time, and it's it's really nice, you know, after nine years getting. Uh, proper recognition in Vancouver for what we've been doing and so yeah we had a meeting with him uh, a couple months back and he just said that he really wanted to officially endorse the show at this point in time so he's going to be reading from his uh, mayoral proclamation um, on the lawn of the city hall on June 26th because he's officially declaring um, June 26th the cheaper show day for the city of Vancouver which is great and funny and all the above it's it's pretty amazing um so yeah it's, it's great to have his support and there's also a panel discussion on june 25th called now what tell us about that this panel discussion is going to be um some real prominent leaders in in the cultural community here um both on the civic level and um institutional and the discussion is really going to be um you know determining at this point in time when we've had these you know massive historical art budget cuts now what do we do, and how, does, uh, how do we find different sustainable models um, to support our local art economy? How do we support artists? How do we keep galleries afloat? How do we work together um, to uh, keep our art economy going in BC? Because it's you know, really been brought to its knees at this point in time. So we have, I think, some of the most authoritative voices going to be in that room that night, just having a real... Um, amazing conversation so that'll be on the friday evening between seven and ten 
and we're really, really excited to host that this year. Great, and it sounds a lot like uh, that same spirit of rather than just uh, complaining about it, doing something about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <clears throat> I guess there's two different mindsets on this whole thing. I mean, one is you know collectively rallying together and fighting against these these budget cuts, which I know there's been some you know triumphant support um, on that side of things, but um, you know it's really difficult to tell how much. Uh, how many changes are actually going to be made within the Liberal government in that department because there doesn't really seem to be a lot of motion. But in the meantime, uh, in between time, we definitely need to pull together to, um, you know, become a think tank and, and be supportive and really operate as a community as we should be um, in order to um, support our, our young talent in the city and, and show them that there, we, we do have a city that supports them and we have different systems in place to kind of take care of uh, some of these artists and, and give them some of the finances they need to survive. So that's, uh, yeah, it definitely is in the same spirit of, of the Cheaper Show, and we're going to be kind of highlighting different ways that um, we funded this show this year, which it is a really massive undertaking at this point in time. It does have a, a serious price tag attached to it, and, and myself and my partner, Steve Rio, um, we've been fundraising since January 3rd of this year, and, I mean, it's been a been an arduous task and we've been very fortunate to have the history and the credit that we do um, that we have received a lot of um, amazing support from some key individuals in the city as well as some you know corporate support as well which is you know really a requirement for us at this point so um, yeah like I said we're really happy to have that uh, discussion taking place under our roof um, kind of really expands on the program of what the cheaper show can offer Excellent. Best of luck with the show and with uh, the crowds. Thank you very much. <laughs> I hope to see you there. Great. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Adam. So the che Cheaper Show will be this Saturday, June the 26th, from 6 p.m. till midnight at W2 Storium, which is 151 West Cordova. And you can catch the panel discussion on Friday, June the 25th. And that's at 7.30 till 9.30, also at 151 West Cordova. The uh, panel, the panelists included uh, in the event, the, they'll be talking about the sustainability of our art system and the need for the development of new emerging artist economies. Uh, that pan panel group uh, includes Bruce Hayden, the president of the board, of the Contemporary Art Gallery Vancouver, David Jordan, the Executive Director of the Vancouver International Fringe Festival, who has been very outspoken about uh, the arts cuts in BC recently, Kate Armstrong, artist, writer, and independent curator, instructor at Emily Carr University, uh, Amir Ali Alibai, Executive Director of the Alliance for Arts and Culture, Marcus Youssef, artistic producer for New World Theatre, Spencer Herbert, the MLA for the... Um, I'm sorry, the official opposition uh, critic uh, for tourism, culture, and the arts, and ML, uh, NDP MLA, and Keith Higgins, administrative coordinator of the Helen Pitt Gallery slash honorary board member. Um, that will be on Friday night. And you should check out the websites for the complete list of all the artists involved. There are 200 of them, and you can see pictures of the art on the website, and um, it's really going to be a spectacular show. The website is thecheapershow.com, and you can get, uh, get all the info you need and tickets, I believe, uh, there as well. So check that out.
All right, we will be right back, and afterward we'll talk about the book "Choosing to Smile." And I'm going to press the button that will play the ad, and hopefully the ad will play when I press it. Are you clueless to what happens around campus? Do you hate the fact that most Canadian news outlets are owned by one company? Do conventional news leave you with a bad taste in your mouth? Well, don't be a hater. Be a joiner. News 101 is your source for alternative news from around UBC and the world. We're always looking for more newsies, so get in touch with us. Email us at news at citr.ca to learn about the opportunities that we have for you. You can also listen to News 101 at 5 p.m. on Mondays and Fridays here on CITR. Glenda Standiven, Julie Hulker, and Michelle Rickaby have co-written the autobiography called "Choosing to Smile." About surviving and persevering through cancer, Glenda is a 23-year cancer survivor who lost her entire right leg, hip, and pelvis to cancer in 1998. Julie was diagnosed with breast cancer 14 years ago, and is currently dealing with metastatic breast cancer. And Michelle was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in 1998. I spoke with Glenda and Julie over the phone, and here is our interview. Let's start with why did you write the book "Choosing to Smile"? Julie, you want to grab that one? Yeah,、um, we had、um, been friends for a while, and we went on a girls' weekend,、um, and we were in a bookstore in the ins- inspirational section. And the night before we went, I just had a vision that we should write our stories. And when we ended up in the inspirational section, I just said, you know, we our stories are every bit as inspirational as these. We need to. Write our stories down, and everybody stopped and said, "Yep,、yeah, that's exactly what we, sh- we should do." And eleven months to the day, we had the book in our hands.、Hmm. <laughs> hey, when you put three girls <laughs> on a mission, you get results. And how did it?、Um, how did it all bring it bring you together? Well, Michelle and I met with、uh, a support group. She was looking for a support group. I had had a support group, and then we decided, well, let's. Put a support group together, and we joined under the Cancer Society and had living with cancer for 11 years. This support group in town, twice a month, no breaks. Every every month, we'd meet twice a month for 11 years, and then we just went. You know, we've had enough of that one. Let's、uh, start saying hello to people, <laughs> and it was it was a lot of fun、uh, that way. Julie and I met because I'm a reflexologist,、mm-hmm. and she came for a totally unrelated. Uh, incident to come and see me and have a session, and then a, how long after that, Jules, were you diagnosed?、Um, it was a couple of years after that, but、um, also I, you connected us with the Optimist Club. Glenda's a member of the Optimist Club, and and so I became part of Glenda's group of friends, and Michelle was in that, and Bonnie, our other friend that was part of this venture, was in that. So we became、um, friends, and that was fifteen years ago.、Uh, so it's. It's a long-term friendship group.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Longer than most marriages. <laughs> <laughs> Now, just looking at the title, choosing to smile, I'm I'm guessing the main message of of the book is 
you know, and you say you were part of the, the Optimist Club, is that right? That's right, yeah. I'm guessing the main message is to stay positive. Can you tell me a bit about the challenge that uh, the challenge to stay positive under the circumstances? I mean, nobody wants to find out that they have cancer and it must be a difficult thing to face. How did you, how did you find that optimism? Well, I think what, what the book says and um, says quite clearly and has touched a lot of people with that is that, um, yeah, you have the down days. It's not that you're not going to um, have those down days, but you then have a choice. You can either stay down or you can take what life has thrown at you and you can choose to smile and, and face at the day with a smile. And we have just found over the years that that is what works for us. And, you know, not just with cancer, but with any kind of adversity that we've, we've um, faced. So it's just a choice that we all can make. And for us, that is what's worked, and I think for a lot of other people. You know, and, and Julie's dealing with metastatic breast cancer right now, and, and that's not an easy thing. And you can be very depressed because nobody's getting out alive. That's mm-hmm. one thing we all know. None of us are getting <laughs> out of here alive. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Spend the time mourning or living? And, or spend the time wondering and worrying about how much time you've got left and wasting that time or just enjoying every moment of every day. Uh, choosing to smile helps you to, and to do just that, enjoy every moment of every day. No. It sounds so easy, but it's really, you know, it it's, it's, sounds easy, but it's not. <laughs> and, and we really do emphasize that we don't, that we're not, smiling every day that mm-hmm. there are the down days and and everybody has those and we wouldn't want to um make people feel that that's not okay of course we have the down days but at the end of that pulling yourself through and choosing to smile has been a, a way of helping us cope now now you sound like pretty uh optimistic people to begin with by disposition but i wonder has you know the diagnosis of cancer did that force you to change you know your attitude or, or change your perspective on life in some ways or did you already have a very sort of positive outlook in life and it was sort of um, a natural progression oh that's a good question adam uh, i think for myself i was always a little uh more happy-go-lucky bent but i know Michelle, she always says that it was something she had to learn. Mm-hmm. She actually had to learn that. And Jules, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I have to work at that, too. Um, I think um, what I learned very quickly was that in a weird kind of a way, cancer is, gives you some gifts. And one of the gifts that it gives you is that you have that knowledge that you cannot afford to waste a moment. So it forces you to live every moment at a different level of joy. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've got over the shock and you've faced in the future, you you really start to appreciate things that most of us, until we're faced with cancer, don't even think about. You know, we all live in this um, oblivion of, yeah, we're all going to live to 90 and, and die of old age in our sleep. And for some people that's true, but for a lot of people it's not. And once you've faced cancer, you lose that naivety and you know that you have to enjoy every moment. and. You have to take those moments and and not waste them worrying about what might happen in the future. So in a way, it it forces you to live your life on a higher level of joy. Now, is this book 
for people who have cancer or can people who are perfectly healthy get something out of it as well? Absolutely. Uh, our reviews have been, we've had some fabulous reviews and the common theme has been it's very easy to get into, it's very hard to put down, the, the readers are lots of laughter, um, a few tears along the way but uh, finding it very inspirational and we are hearing from young women with young families who've never had cancer, a granddad who's never had cancer but read the book twice, um, and people are saying this is not just a book for people who have had cancer. It's a book and it's not for, just for women. And it's not just for women. It's, it's a book um, that can inspire anyone to, to live their life to the fullest and to enjoy every moment of every day. Well, I wish you great success with the book and uh, the fullest health and the quickest recovery. Oh, thanks, Great. Adam. Thanks very much. Thank nice you. chatting with you. All right, so the book is now in stores. Currently, you can pick it up today. Um, but there are also some book signing events coming up, including uh, Blackberry Books on Granville Island. Uh, and that will be... Ooh, I didn't write down the date. Mm, I think that's on the 26th. I believe that's on Saturday. As well as on Chapters, Granville, and Broadway. Again, I didn't write down the date. All I wrote down is the, the time from 12 till 3 p.m. Well, that's not very helpful for you, is it? I will, um, I'll get the date of that and tell you that in a moment. And um, you can also uh, purchase the book online, and you can check out the wonderful website that they have uh, for the book, which is www.choosingtosmile.com. All right, I'll get you the, the dates of those book signing events uh, in a moment. And also, in a moment, we will be giving away tickets to Lude, Crude, and Out of Control this Saturday at the Rio Theatre. Lude, Crude, and Out of Control is a show that features some of the best lewd, crude, dark-humored spoken word that you've ever heard. It's a show that has vaudevillian theatrics, part comedy, burlesque, beatboxing, harmonica-pounding, carnivalesque. Oakland's own slam poet champion, the notorious Jamie DeWolf, is headlighting. And uh, as we go into this commercial break, I will throw out the phone number and offer these tickets to you. Uh, just so you know, we're also working on a interview with uh, Jamie DeWolf, and uh, we'll have that hopefully uh, soon. I think uh, we're going to do it tomorrow. So give us a call if you would like tickets. The number is 604 822-2487. That's 604-822-2487. We'll be right back. Are you a UBC student taking first-year economics, math, chemistry, or physics? That stuff is hard. Are you feeling like you need some tutoring? That's okay, because the AMS offers free and appointment tutoring for students in these subjects. Whoa! How does it work? It's on a first-come, first-served basis, and there's no need to sign up. Just show up with your books and your questions. Whoa! When does it happen? Monday to Thursday from 3 to 7 at the Sub Pacific Spirit Cafeteria, located beside the Starbucks. Whoa! A-plus, here I come. At Dunkin' Donuts, each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. <laughs> 
Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. All right, we are back. You're listening. You're listening to the uh, Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. Um, the Arts Report and CITR is uh, partnering up with the Vancouver Folk Music Festival, which is July 16th to the 18th. And that will be at Jericho Beach Park. And um, we're kicking off a series of interviews that start today and will run for the next few weeks and um, we'll interview many artists, uh, including local, national, and international artists on the show. So we'll start off with the artistic director of the Folk Fest, and she will tell us all about this year's festival and a little bit of its history. And let's go to that now. Tell me about uh, this year's uh, festival and the lineup. Well, the festival has about 65 artists from all over the world. There's a, a real diversity of music from uh, groups from Haiti and Colombia, um, lots of world music. There's indie artists, Bahamas. Uh, um, there's um, Calexico, um, the Avett Brothers, um, artists from Vancouver. Um, Steve Dawson and Jim Burns are participating in the Mississippi Sheiks Project. There's electronic music. There's DK Dolores from Brazil. There's Echo Deck from Ontario. Um, there's all, there's all kinds of music that appeal to all different um, kinds of people. And how does it work in terms of uh, the festival and um, you know the stages? Well, there's eight stages on site, and uh, during the day we have seven stages running. So that's what I'm in the middle of right now. Uh, programming all the stages. Each artist performs a concert and they also perform in a session or workshop during the weekend. So I might have something dealing with um, har- like all different people that play harmonicas. They might be um, joining together on one stage or guitar guitarists or some kind of theme based on maybe world peace or something like that. So I have different artists performing. And uh, and then in the evening, we have the main big stage running, but we also have another stage with indie music on it that's running, and we have this year uh, stage three, which is near the food court. We have um, um, some electronic music, too. Hmm. And what makes the Folk Fest unique from other festivals? Well, I think it's... It's the same as a lot of different Western folk festivals. They run on this format, too, putting different artists together that have never performed together. But it is unique compared to uh, a, a lot of the events and concerts that are running in the city where they're just one stage or they don't uh, put people together in these sessions. So these sessions are something that are very exciting and, uh, um, you know, people, most people enjoy this part. This is the part that they enjoy the most for the whole festival. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the uh, the history. It's been around for thirty three years. Yeah, yeah. This is this festival is the second oldest uh, folk festival in Western Canada. Um, the people that had started the Winnipeg Folk Festival came here and started it. The first year was in uh, Stanley Park, and then and then from then on, it has moved to Jericho and has been at Jericho Beach. Hmm. And um, can people still get involved? In well, terms of volunteering? The, um, 
our volunteers are booked up. We have a waiting list now. We have over 1,400 volunteers, hmm. and, and everything from um, transporting artists to cooking food for the volunteers and the artists to um, um, running stages or running the kids' area or just um, working and cleaning up the environment during the weekend. Hmm. Yeah, tell me a little bit about the the scale of things that uh, that are occupying you and all of these these uh, army of volunteers. The that are occupying well, right now, mostly for me, it's like getting the tax waivers from international artists, um, making sure that they have all the visas to come into the country, um, double checking when their flights are arriving so I can schedule them for the weekend. For the volunteers, they're having meetings. Uh, all the coordinators are having meetings, and just on how to run everything this year. If there's any changes, um, everything from um, busing tables at the beer garden to um, just uh, how many vehicles we need to transport artists and all those kinds of things. Hmm. I hope at some point you'll get to just sit back in and uh, enjoy the show. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once once the schedule's done, I can relax a bit more. But it's just getting everything to the printer, getting our program printed right now, because it's uh, over a 100-page program, so there's lots of details to work out. Great. Well, thanks very much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. All right. Yeah. Great. So that's that. And um, I'll... All right. So that was Linda Tanaka, the... Uh, artistic director of the Folk Festival, Vancouver Folk Music Festival. And as I said, we'll have more interviews next week and the week after and the week after that in celebration of the uh, upcoming festival. All right, so coming up next, we have A Chorus of Disapproval, which is a play, uh, a comedy, a riotously funny play. It's a sort of uh, play-within-a-play comedy. And it's going up at the Deep Cove Stage. Or sorry, the Deep Cove Stage Society is putting this on. It's written by Alan Akeborn and directed by Damien Inwood. I spoke to Damien Inwood uh, about the show, and he gave me all the important info. Tell me about A Chorus of Disapproval. What is it? Uh, it's a play by Alan Akeborn, who's a very well-known uh, British playwright. Uh, he's actually uh, been knighted now, so I guess he's Sir Alan Akeborn, to be honest. But uh, anyway, he's a, a guy who's been writing plays for the last 30 or more, actually more than that, since the 50s, um, in the UK, uh, based out of Scarborough in Yorkshire in England. And um, basically he's he pokes fun at sort of middle-class sensibilities and uh, the way that people... Uh, you know, behave, and that's 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 how he's made his name. His um, he's kind of well known for. Uh, he wrote a trilogy called the Norman Conquest, which was three plays about uh, a guy named Norman who was uh, having some conquests uh, of various women, and uh, wrote it from uh, three different perspectives. It's quite it's quite well known, and he's done a, a whole bunch of other plays too. Uh, one called um, Absurd Person Singular, How the Other Half Loves. Anyway, he's he's written a lot of stuff. Um, uh, Communicating Doors, I think, is one of his more recent ones. And he's obviously uh, very well uh, liked and performed in the West End of London, plus um, lots of community theatre groups do his, his plays because they're very accessible to people and very funny. And is, he's a modern playwright, yeah? Yeah, he is, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
And so uh, take us through the plot a little bit. What's it about? Um, well, it's about a small town in the UK where there's a light opera society, and this fellow, Guy Jones, uh, who's fairly recently widowed, signs up as a way of kind of getting back into, uh, you know, community and meeting people and, and so on. And um, anyway, he joins this group, and uh, he starts off with a very small part, and by the end of the play, he's actually playing the lead, and along the way, he's had various relationships with people in, in the group, so that's kind of encapsulate what happens. And it's a comedy. It's a comedy, yeah, <laughs> but the interesting thing about it is that uh, Akebourne actually took um, a play called The Beggar's Opera, well, it's sort of a musical, actually, um, a, a light opera, I suppose, uh, that was written in the 1700s by a guy named John Gay, and it sort of revolutionized um, musical theater in, in England because up to that time, uh, they'd basically been very much influenced by Italian opera, and he sort of showed that by taking uh, folk tunes of the present, of the current, uh, you know, folk tunes from, from England, and uh, changing the words to comment on society at the time, that he could uh, be quite satirical and uh, political, and uh, basically he set it amongst uh, a group of uh, low-life sort of high women and uh, prostitutes and um, thieves uh, to show that uh, a different level of society than was normally portrayed at that time uh, in theatre in the UK. So he took, he t you know, Eggborn took these some of these songs, not all of them, but uh, an, a few excerpts, and they. They actually do reflect very well on what's going on in his play in the in the present day. So it's uh, it's quite clever, but it's very challenging, of course, because you have to have actors who can sing or singers who can act um, mm -hmm. playing these parts uh, as part of the show. And we we sing it live, obviously. And um, yeah, it's uh, it, quite an interesting show from that perspective. What are some of the challenges of uh, taking a play that takes place in a British seaside town to a Canadian seaside town? Well, we're actually setting it. We haven't changed the setting. Um, we've got some actors who are English, some actors who sound English, and some who don't sound very <laughs> English. But but we, you know, there's nothing worse than people trying to do an accent and doing it badly. So we've basically got a bit of a mixture in this show and I think some it, it works because um, some of the characters could be from other parts of the world they don't necessarily have to be from from the UK so that I mean that's one challenge obviously the other challenge with that is that uh, from a set perspective you have to try and make it uh, you know fairly believable from you know they spend some time in a pub and stuff and it has to it has to kind of look like uh, like an English pub, but it's, it's, we have a very minimalistic set in this production, actually. So. Okay. Well, best of luck with the show, and thanks for speaking with me. Okay, thanks very much for the opportunity. So, a chorus of disapproval goes up. A chorus of disapproval goes up uh, June 25th and 26th, so that's Friday and Saturday. It will also run from June the 30th to July the 3rd, and uh, from July 7th to the 10th. So there's plenty of opportunities to see it. Uh, all times are at 8 p.m. There is a preview tonight uh, for 
I'm guessing also at 8 p.m., at the Deep Cove Shaw Theater, which is 4360 Gallant Avenue in North Vancouver. I will throw out a phone number at you, so get a pen. Tickets are $15 and $13 for seniors and students. And you can get tickets at either www.deepcovestage.com or you can call the box office at 604 929 32 Zero zero six zero four nine two nine three two zero zero. All right, now back to choosing to smile. The uh, book signing uh, events coming up. I have uh, dates for you. Imagine that. Uh, there's Friday. Um, sorry, Saturday, June the twenty sixth. Um, I did get that right, June the 26th, Saturday, and that's at Blackberry Books on Granville Island, and that'll be from 1 till 4 p.m., and then there will be one more signing in July, July the 10th, which is a Friday, and that'll be at Chapters Granville, or, uh, yeah, at Granville and Broadway, and it'll be from 12 p.m. till 3 p.m., and as I said, you can also buy the book online at choosingtosmile.com. All right. So that was uh, that. Um, I have some news uh, for you from CITR, which is that the submissions for Shindig are now being accepted. Are you a band or musician located in Vancouver or the Lower Mainland? We are now accepting entries for Shindig 2010. Shindig is CITR's annual Battle of the Bands competition. All styles are welcome, whether you are a solo country artist or a 10-piece punk band. Past participants include the likes of The Organ, Three Inches of Blood, You Say Party, We Say Die, which, by the way, is now known as You Say Party, Japan Droids, and They Shoot Horses, Don't They, which is a very interesting name. You'll need to send a minimum three-song demo of original material. That can be either CD, MP3, uh, MySpace, Facebook, whatever. Uh, rough mixes, absolutely okay. Uh, we'll get the idea. Contact information, send your email and phone number. Uh, a bio, photos, and other information are not required, but we will look at them if you send them in. Please email all of the above to shindig.submissions at gmail.com before August the 6th, 2010. So you have lots of time. You can also uh, mail it. Snail mail is welcome. Put everything in an envelope, mail it, or drop it off before August 6th to Shindig, 2010, care of CITR Radio. That's number 233 at 6138 Sub Boulevard, Vancouver, BC, V6T1Z1. And note, bands play for only prizes. We are giving you a chance for exposure and not paying you bands can only play Shindig once in their lifetime. So if you have played Shindig before, I'm sorry, you cannot play it again. You've had your chance. But check that out. Uh, okay, great. So we'll go for a, another break. And when we come back, Nick Panu will tell us about Awakening the Virgin Archetype, which is a workshop that Kim Hudson is uh, doing, uh, as well as a book that she has written called The Virgin's Promise. Sounds very interesting. We'll find out more about that when we return. But first, we have to play an ad. Ah, you see, now this is where I'm going to press a button and the ad will play. I warned you that that's, that's what must happen. It doesn't always happen immediately. Uh, now it's going to happen. We'll be right back.
Well, the party is off to a good start. Guests are on time. Everyone's out to have fun and to help others fun. What's the matter? Doesn't that sound exciting to you? UBC students have an alternative. Looking to unwind? Check out one of the sub's two licensed establishments. The Pit Pub and Burger Bar is home of the famous Pit Night. Relax with great prices on cold beer and lots of big screen HD TVs or chow down on charbroiled burgers, beer battered fish and chips, and Belgian fries. The pit is open seven days a week and Wednesday through Saturday is open late until 2 a.m. This business is owned and operated by the AMS, your student society. Greek Day in the heart of Kitsilano, Saturday, June 27th. This festival returns once again to celebrate Greek heritage, the Kitsilano community, and its local merchants. Greek Day. Krinos Foods will host the main stage and other crowd pleasers. A new for this year is a super paradise disco and an Athenian marketplace agora. Greek Day. West Broadway, in the heart of Kitsilano, Saturday, June 27th. To volunteer, or for more information, visit www.greekday.com. And we're back on the Arts Report. So, next, Nick Panu speaks to Kim Hudson about her new book, The Virgin's Promise. This new story structure describes stories of bringing your dream to life. The virgin archetype sets out on a path of self-fulfillment, despite the wishes of her community. She must explore her creative, spiritual, or sexual awakening, or suffer severe psychological damage. Equally used for male and female protagonists, it is the structure in films such as Fight Club, Precious, Pretty Woman, Ever After, Brokeback Mountain, and Rocky. And now there will be a workshop that will describe this style to aspiring uh, screenwriters. Nick Panu tells us more. Listeners, right now we are on the line with uh, author Kim Hudson, who has a workshop, uh, Awakening the Virgin Archetype, coming up this June 26th at uh, BizBooks. Uh, workshop will be taking place from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Yeah, and uh, a, a new book out, The Virgin's Promise. Uh, how are you doing? And thanks for taking the time to do this interview. Oh, well, thank you. It's nice to be invited. Yes, yeah, so I was wondering if you can uh, delve into... Uh, yeah, first year workshop, it's going to be... Uh, you mentioned the date, uh, June the 26th, and it's going to talk about this whole genre, genre that uh, you, you also explore in your book. That's right. Um, it's, a, it's a new idea about a um, feminine alternative to the hero's journey. And it's a, a structure that has um, 13 beats that, that walks you through how to, how to write a story that uh, takes a person's inner talent or their dream and brings it to life against the, um, the wishes of their community. So um, it includes stories like um, An Education or Rocky or Shakespeare in Love, any story where somebody has a, has a dream or a talent that they need to bring to the world. Uh, so, Kim, uh, what is this virgin's journey? All right, here, I'll, uh, I'll give you a quick rundown of it. 
So the virgin starts out, she lives in a dependent world, and she pays a certain price for conforming to this world until one day there's this opportunity to shine and she takes it. She starts by dressing the part of, um, of the person that she wants to be in. It's this magical moment where she takes this something that's inside her and gives it a tangible form. Um, but when, once she tastes this, um, this piece of being authentic and being true to herself, she, she wants more. So she creates a secret world within her dependent world, and um, she has a place where she's free of, um, of a lot of the pressures and of her community, and she can grow in her authentic self until one day it's really hard for her to go back because she's been going back and forth, always um, keeping her secret world hidden. And she gets caught. And once she's uh, caught, then she has to give up uh, some belief that was making it okay for her to conform. And so she gives up what kept her stuck, and the whole kingdom goes into chaos. And um, and now she's not sure, should she go back and please everybody, or should she go forward and see if she can make a life um, for herself in her true form. And she wanders in the wilderness until she finally chooses her light and uh, then there's this actually quite a controversial stage where I call it the reordering and a lot of people call it the rescue and uh, it's where I think there's two two factors to it somebody recognizes her as valuable in her true form and is willing to die to see her have a place to 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 exist see where the hero story crosses over and then finally, the whole kingdom is brighter because she's been authentic and given that example to everybody. So that's essentially the journey, and it's everything from precious to ever after to an education or a shadow of a doubt. Those are all movies that follow that same structure. Wow. Brokeback Mountain's another one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically the journey. I'm a fan of uh, Rocky, and, and since that was mentioned in the press release, uh, hey, yo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Key to Rocky yeah. is that if it was a hero movie, then somebody would have been in peril, right? If there would have been a wrong that was done that needed to be corrected, or the, the village would have needed something from the outside world, and he faced the unknown to bring it back, or the, somebody was coming and trying to destroy the goodness in the village. And none of that's true, right? Rocky believed in himself, and his community did not believe in him. And he had to fight that, um, that disconnect in order to be true to himself. He had to believe in himself when nobody else would. And that's what makes it a virgin story. So uh, if uh, listeners would like um, more information and where they can go and how they can get tickets, they should go to... Go to bizbooks.net um, to register, or they can phone bizbooks at 604-669-6431. And uh, it should be fun. We're going to look at lots of clips and uh, do a bunch of exercises. If you have some writing that you're working on, we'll have some chances to talk about that. And uh, I promise everybody will come home with uh, the ability to write an inspirational story. Uh, it, it's been really great getting the chance to talk to you about uh, uh, about this theory, Awakening the Virgin Archetype. Uh, thanks for taking the time to do this interview. Thanks, Nick. It was nice talking to you. All right, so as you heard, that'll be on Saturday, and BizBooks is the place to go for more information. Um, I'm not sure if uh, what I think of Nick's uh, Rocky impression there. I know he does a pretty good... 
uh, impression of um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who does Stella, Stella. Oh wow, can't remember his name. Huge star that everyone knows the name of. Yeah, that that guy. Um, all right, uh, we also have one more uh, clip from Nick Panu. And this time it's uh, with an actor, Will Sasso, from the film Year of the Carnivore, which is Sukin Lee's uh, newest film. It's out right now. It is playing at uh, Tinseltown. And you should check it out. Uh, here's that interview. Right now we are here at Canada Screens, the screening for uh, Year of the Carnivore, and that opens nationwide Friday, June 19th, uh, June 18th, sorry. And we're sitting here. Uh, with one of the cast members, Will Sasso. How are you doing? And thanks for taking the time to do this interview. Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing fine. Your intro there sounded like I was uh, just making my way down to the ring for a MMA fight. <laughs> I'm ready to beat the shit out of someone now. Next time, Will Sasso. You know, like really, maybe hold the O at the end. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to tell you how to do your job. Yeah, actually, I was watching UFC uh, last Saturday night, so maybe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what was happening. You thought you were Bruce Buffett for a moment. Yeah, yeah. still caught up in that moment from uh, last week. Um, <laughs> yeah, very uh, talented cast. Uh, very interesting story. Uh, great scores in this film. Yeah, all Canadian bands performed in the in, in this film. It, how important do you think it is for um, people, uh, Canadians, to go out and? see uh support canadian film how how important is it for uh, ca canadian film to, to to be recognized in your opinion uh by canadians uh yeah no i mean i think it's really important uh, you know uh, a lot of times uh, i mean look i i hear i hear it over and over again in, in different ways a lot of people uh within the industry or that just uh our, our consumers and our audiences for for this sort of film and others, uh, we need to have more Canadian stuff. You know, we hey, we need to provide our own stuff and uh, we need to create our own stuff and we need to ingest our own stuff. So I think it's really important for people to go out and eh, I don't like the word support. I don't think you know I don't like hearing like hey support the arts or go support this movie. Go enjoy the movie. You know, it's a good film. You know, it's a cool, fun, weird film and if you go see it you probably won't see anything like it you probably probably never have and you may never see it again and there's a uh, there's room for this there, this is a relevant this is a relevant uh, this is a relevant film you know the weekend previous and the weekend after you can see whatever sort of big uh, budget blockbuster american film uh, that you want to see and then uh, in the meantime sure why why not well yeah, i mean even if it's for the uh, simple effect that it has on somebody when they say hey they shot that where i live yeah, go see it. Whatever. Yeah, uh, great film. Uh, Year of the Carnivore opens in uh, theaters nationwide Friday, June the 18th. Uh, we were just talking to one of the cast members and stars for Mad TV and uh, another series coming out on CBS. Oh, yeah, CBS. Uh, well, it's, it's uh, unofficially called Shit My Dad Says based on the Twitter feed. But it won't be called that. It'll be uh, censored, my dad says. Bleeped, bleep, my dad says. Something like that. But that's, um, or uh, I, think I, think I think they're calling it uh, dollar sign, hashtag, uh, asterisk, exclamation point, my dad says. Uh, CBS this fall, Thursday nights, 8.30 after Big Bang Theory with uh, William Shatner and myself and Nicole Sullivan. And uh, tune in. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, listeners, we were just speaking to Will Sasso. Uh, thanks so much for 
taking the time to uh, do this interview. Cheers. Thanks for uh, thanks for saying my name like there's something rammed up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, I, I was trying to counter with it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Cheers. Okay, that was uh, Will Sasso uh, speaking to Nick Panu, and uh, ooh, I'm on a very squeaky chair here. That's wow. Okay, um, you may uh, that may sound familiar to you. That name, uh, Will Sasso, was uh, on the sketch comedy series Mad TV for five seasons. He was the um, he was the large man, um, large bald man, in that show. And uh, and he's in the film. I really like what he says about uh, not using the word support in the context of art, as if it's uh, to not make it sound as if you need to support it, like it's a like it's a charity, like it's something that's that's sort of poor and 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 just needs needs nurturing and and needs your care. He says, just just go enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy the film because it's a good film. Don't support it because you have to feel like you need to support Canadian films. Um, so check that out. That's at uh, Tinseltown uh, here in Vancouver. Um, okay, so we are almost out of time, and I will thank you for listening. And oh, there's that chair again. It's got a mind of its own. I'll just remind you that um, we have a lovely podcast of the show that uh, goes up about an hour after the show airs. It's um, you can find it at citr.ca. If you hit uh, shows, you can get um, a full list of all the podcasts, including the Arts Report. And by all means, please subscribe to the Arts Report, and it will show up in your iTunes um, podcast inbox uh, automatically without any effort. Uh, you can also uh, you should also subscribe to our Twitter feed and get the latest scoop on uh, what we'll have on the show and any ticket giveaways that we'll be having. We are uh, called CITR underscore Arts Report, you know, with the little at thing, at CITR underscore Arts Report. And, um, yeah, and join us next week um, on the show. We will have, um, we'll have Alex Johnson. She came in studio and performed uh, a song uh, from her CD called Voodoo. It sounded amazing live, actually. It sounded exactly like it, it might sound on, a, on the record. Uh, she has an incredible voice, and she'll be on the show uh, next week, as well as we'll have a feature on Wreck Beach Buto right here at UBC. There is going to be a, a nude dance show. So you can find out about seeing uh, a show featuring a group of uh, nude dancers painted in white who will um, dance their hearts out on the beach, uh, regardless of the weather, regardless of the, the forces of nature that will be thrown at them. And um, I think it's only $5, so it's a really great deal. And it's a really interesting art form, actually. Uh, Buto is sort of like anti-dance. It's sort of uh, a reaction to the formal dance that that comes out from ballet. Um, a lot of modern, a lot of uh, traditional dance is rooted in ballet, and it's rooted in that sort of rigid uh, structure. And Buto wants to break free of all that, so it's much more of an improvisational, chaotic, um, emotional, free form form of dance. And uh, that's not something necessarily people see all the time. So this is a really great opportunity to see that. And it's right here at UBC at Rec Beach. 
So thanks for listening to this week's show. I'm Adam Janusz. I'll be back uh, next Wednesday. Until then, have a lovely week. Next, um, I'm not sure what we have next. It's not real to real this week. Um, so uh, keep listening. Thanks. Are you a UBC student taking first-year economics, math, chemistry, or physics? That stuff is hard. Are you feeling like you need some tutoring? That's okay, because the AMS offers free and appointment tutoring for students in...